Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about Glass Onion, the sequel to Knives Out, which is out for one week in theaters right now at the time that this goes up, and then will be on Netflix very soon, and uh, is a really fun time, and we had a great time talking about it. I've got Joe Black on the show. He was just on just recently, but he's back, and uh, we got a lot of good puzzle pieces to talk about here, so that's coming up in a second. Before we get to it, I want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. We have a lot of episodes coming up to finish out the year, so uh, make sure you're subscribed. And you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And don't forget about our Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year, and from my music career. I'm about to release a new album called More Content. Uh, the pre-order starts next week, and then the album actually comes out December 30th. So lots of news about my music coming soon. And uh, yeah, we appreciate your support. So, uh, with all that said, let's talk about Glass Onion. Joe Black is back with us to help peel apart the Glass Onion. Joe, how's it going? It's going great. It's, it's, uh, to everyone who listens, it's only been like a week or so, but for us, it's been a couple months at this point. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's true. These things, you never know where they're going to fit in the schedule and it just works out that way. But, uh. I don't know. I, I'm super excited to talk about this one. Like I told you, you actually joined me for a screening of it. And uh, like I told you, I wasn't 100% sure. Like, I was certainly looking forward to it, but I didn't know for sure if it would be worth covering in the sense of we talked Knives Out on the podcast before. Will there be enough different stuff with the sequel to uh, to really get into. And while I think some of the same themes are, of course, going to come up as did on Knives Out, I think there's plenty to talk about here. Yeah, yeah. He he really succeeded at making a movie that's completely different from the first one. Um, yeah. He, I mean, you know, every, you know, writer, director has kind of like a, a bag of tricks, if you will, like even the greats. But like, mm -hmm. aside from those, the bag of tricks, like the, the tone, the, 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 format the, the whole thing is different and uh and that was that was one of my favorite things about it actually was that it it, it did not feel like knives out right and, 
it, it just felt like, you know, the further adventures of Benoit Blanc. Yes, absolutely. So. And I, I think that's what we all want. Like, you know, because there's, we've seen a bunch. I mean, we had, now you see me earlier this year. Uh, we of course have, uh, you know, the, uh, Perot films and so we're seeing the renaissance of, of well not renaissance the resurgence of these uh murder mysteries at the moment and so there's plenty of them we don't need just another murder mystery we want another ryan johnson movie is what we essentially want yeah yeah you know my friend uh my friend and producer joe neil always joked with me he's like you know what your problem is you're always two years ahead of the curb and mm. uh like, you know, I'm just saying before even Knives Out, I was making my murder mystery movie. And then like oh, I'm, I'm just yeah. saying, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Not that I've made a movie nearly as good as Knives Out or anything, but I'm just saying <laughs> I'm, my movie was definitely better than the fucking what was it called? Nice with Sam Rockwell. What was that called? Nice. So see how they run. See how they run. Oh, um, did yeah. I call it Now You See Me in, in the uh, you I, did. I, you did. That's the Jesse Eisenberg mother. movie. Yes, you know, in the lead up to uh, this is a total tangent, but in the lead up to the See How You Run live episode that we did, um, I was like, oh, I'm going to be in front of an audience. I'm going to call this movie Now You See Me like 16 times. And I actually managed to not say it one time. And here I am on Glass yeah, on Live, you didn't say title. it. Here on this pre recorded yeah. one, you've said it. Like, that's, yeah. that's pretty funny. Unbelievable. My wife Ridiculous. has a tendency to like do that with titles where she'll like confuse titles like that and it's, it's my one of my favorite qualities about her like i showed her the golden child one time and a couple weeks later she's like what's that one movie we watched with the asian kid what's it called the hero kid like I... <laughs> close enough yeah <laughs> yeah well let's start getting into some puzzle pieces joe what do you have for your first piece oh, oh me first i did not expect that all right let's start with the weirdest one that i had is mad monster party oh um which is a stop motion animation movie from made for TV movie from the uh, mid sixties. Uh, it's made by the guys who did the Rudolph special, the Christmas special Rankin and Bass. And it's a, this one though is, is more for Halloween, even though it, I think it actually came out in like March of that year, but it's, it's about all the most famous monsters, uh, Dracula, the mummy, Wolfman, invisible man, Frankenstein, even King Kong. Um, they they get invited to the island of Dr. Frankenstein, who mm. is um, announcing his retirement because he's officially created everything that he could ever create, including this new like formula that has the power of an atomic bomb. And mm -hmm. all of the different monsters are like, ooh, I want that bomb and his fortune. <laughs> so they kind of like start plotting and turning against each other uh to get to get to that uh to get to that formula so wow um and that that very much reminds me of the uh of of the situation we're thrust into in glass onion where you've got all these like famous actors who oh and then in the end of mad monster party you find out that like they're like robots created by dr frankenstein and so they're all like kind of like indebted to him for their life much like glass onion Sure. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what the, what a puzzle piece to kick this off with, Joe. I mean, like I was <laughs> at first I'm like, where is he going? And then I realized, oh wow, everything about Glass Onion is here. Right, right. It, well, even when you look at it, the the main character kind of looks like Ryan Johnson. He's um <laughs> he's Dr. Frankenstein's nephew, who kind of sound the guy doing the voice just kind of makes him sound like Jimmy Smith or Jimmy Smith. <laughs> That's not bad. That's 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 a football player. 
No, um, uh, Jimmy Stewart. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, Jimmy Stewart. Y- y- you know, so yeah, I, I, yeah, Mad Monster Party. That's that's my first one. Wild. That is uh, that is wild, and that sounds like a lot of fun. I need to watch that movie. That sounds like it would be a blast. Yeah, I was. We set up the projector on Halloween night. We invited friends over, and we set up our projector in the front yard. And I was like, "We're gonna watch Mad Monster Party." And then right before everybody showed up, I got nervous because that movie is kind of boring unless you like grew up with it. You know what I mean? It's like sure, like it's it's a little. It's really long. It should be like twenty minutes shorter. But like, I don't mind right. it. But I did. I panicked the last minute. I was like, no, 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 no. And when they showed up, I was like, let's watch Monster Squad instead. And that went mm. over that went over very well. So, yeah. Um, but yes, definitely Fair see enough. Mad Monster Party. Fair enough. Well, you started with the TV movie. I'll start with a TV show um, uh, anthology series from Mike White called The White Lotus, which uh, is in its second season right now. Uh, but. You know, th- this movie, as was the first one, definitely a takedown of, you know, the rich and the 1% and, you know, how these people can be such assholes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, while uh, certainly Glass Onion is a murder mystery, it's also definitely a excuse to get these people together and have them turn on each other. And they're all stuck in this vulnerable place of being, you know, on an island and they kind of can't get away from one another. And while I haven't watched season two of the white Lotus yet, the first season was just absolutely fantastic. And, um, you know, all these characters, they all are just so richly drawn and so just at each other's throats the whole time. And it's so much fun to like, wonder who is going to kind of come out on top, even though you also want them all to kind of fail at the same time. (laughs) That's funny. I uh, yeah, I just read actually this morning when I opened my laptop that they just got approved for a season three. So, yeah, they, they're on to something there. Um, I yeah. tried watching the first episode of that. and I just could not get into it at all. And I and so many people always say to me because there's a lot of shows like that where like Breaking Bad was another one. And people were like, oh, you got to watch. You got to watch like until episode four. And then you, and I'm like, no, I don't. I don't have to sit through four <laughs> hours of something to decide whether or not I want to watch it. Like, yeah, like, that's fair. Yeah. Like, but, um, but Mike White, I mean, talk about a guy who's been, I mean, what a career that guy's had. You know what I mean? Like, Orange County, uh, all over the rock, place. Chuck and Buck. And now this kind of like semi thriller, like mystery show. I mean, like, that's like good for him. You know, good yeah, for him for his absolutely. longevity. He seems like such an interesting guy. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, I actually met the guy who Chuck and Buck is about. The, Mm. Have you seen Chuck and Buck? Yeah, you, back when it first came out a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, like I, I met the guy who apparently is the Chuck to his buck. Okay. Yeah, and he was <laughs> like, he's like, don't trust Mike. He's a creep. Um, um, he would say that. Yeah, well, you know, it, <laughs> yeah, of course, especially if you saw Chuck and Buck, you'd be like, so that's yeah. how you see me. Um, I remember when the Stepford Wives came out with Nicole Kidman. He, at the mm-hmm. beginning, plays her, plays like the guy on her game show. And this mm-hmm. is like right at the peak of him doing School of Rock and stuff. And when he stepped out on stage in that movie, I'm in the theater and I like, I don't know why, but like out loud, I just went, Mike White, like I like really loud, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. That's the end of that story. Yeah, that was that, was, that story ended with you just yelling Mike White. Like that's yeah, like I mean, how a puzzle piece should be. And I was I just, just yelling him out. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. What do you got next? 
what I have next. All right. I, I, I do want to dip a little into criticism of the movie. So my next puzzle piece is going to be Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, okay. A um, classic. Yeah. Classic. Anyways. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I went to a test screening of that movie and they were, it was one of those ones where they're like, you are the first audience ever to see the completed Grand Budapest Hotel. You know, and I'm like stoked, you know, because at that point he hadn't made a completely bad movie. And then, like, by the end, I was like, is it too late to fix it? Um, but oh, yeah, yeah, one yeah. of my big problems with that really, really, whatever. One of my big problems with the movie is the cameos. In it. The cameos in that movie start to get really distracting, especially in the third mm. act when everything is ramping up. And he's supposed to be like, what are they called? Like the, the, the key holders or something like that? The, the, I think so. The, yeah. yeah, it's something like like. He's supposed to like wrangle them up to help him win the day. And it's like all these like cameos, you know, it's Bill Murray and then it's Owen Wilson. And it's, it, it was just like they're popping up. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm trying to get invested in what's going on here in the climax of the movie. And you're just distracting me with this. Like, and then they come into the scene and don't really do anything. You know, it was just like, oh, you just needed a part for Owen and Bill. Like, I, and I felt that a little bit with this movie, um, you know, the beginning. He's in the bathtub playing some kind of computer game, and you've got like all those cameos: Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and and uh, Natasha Leone, and um, yeah, and then a couple Steve Sondheim and Angela Lansbury. It's like ooh, that half, um, that half of that screen's a little cursed. But then like you've got like <laughs> Ethan Hawke popping up for a minute, like not playing Ethan Hawke. I thought that was a great cameo. Sure, but like it was like weird. Like I think even someone in our audience went what. Like, like, because it was weird because he doesn't come back. He doesn't, you know, and then like at the end, you've got Hugh Grant. And I initially on the first time I saw it with you thought that he was just playing Hugh Grant. I thought the joke was that Hugh Grant and Benoit Blanc were, you know, uh, were oh. lovers. But no, he's, he's, with, he's with this celebrity. Yeah. yeah. His name apparently is Philip. Um, okay. Upon rewatching it. So, yeah, it's like and that that gets a little distracting to me. It's a little I, I don't know. It, it it's it i i get it everybody wants to be in a ryan johnson movie and i don't blame them you, you know what mm -hmm. i mean but it that did that did distract me a little bit um watching the movie i i i will say while i don't fully agree with you on that because i i thought that the cameos were a lot of fun a lot of the times like i thought they were well done um it did kind of make the whole thing feel a little contenty you yeah. know like like it just seemed like like a lesser movie in a way to, to kind of throw cameos in there just for that cameo wow factor. Um, you know, like I, I really liked the uh, Serena Williams was on like that Peloton style yeah. workout video, just waiting, you know, like, Oh yeah, I'm on the, I'm on the clock. Like that was really funny, but it also just didn't feel like something you would see in, you know, a bigger, you know, movie. Yeah. And, and like to that, like I wanted her to like help them on the case somehow, like almost like mm. the way that the mom, like that the mom helped them out yeah. Um, yeah, sure. at the beginning. Like if Serena like pointed out something they didn't notice or, you know, like just do something with it other than make the joke. And that's kind of how right. I felt about um, that's kind of how I felt about uh, Ethan Hawke at the beginning, too. I was like, why is this Ethan Hawke? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. um, I will say it's funny that I, after my wife and I saw it together, because I've seen it a couple times now, um, after we saw it together when we were leaving, uh, uh, I was like, it's pretty cool. You know, Benoit Blanc is gay and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, what? 
And I was like, he's gay with like Hugh Grant. And she goes, that's, I thought that was his butler. (laughs) (laughs) Butler. I know. Well, I mean, he is like baking bread. Yeah. Which is a great funny COVID joke. That he's like (laughs) learning to bake bread. That's pretty cute. Well, and let and let's be clear. There's a lot of COVID in this movie. Um, yeah. For anyone who hasn't seen it, hopefully people are listening that have seen it. But yeah, there's a lot of COVID. In in a way, it feels like the ultimate like kind of combination of all the things we know about COVID were thrown into this, and and most of it I think lands really well. Um, you know, uh, speaking of that Ethan Hawke character, there's a really funny joke in the beginning where. Uh, they, you know, of course, these are all like incredibly wealthy people and they already have this cure that just involves a quick little shot in the mouth and they're good. They're yeah. good to go to You're not wear good. masks anymore for the duration of this Hollywood movie, you know? So Yeah, I, I you know, I actually thought that the, the COVID thing kind of puts a weird, it almost felt a little, quote unquote, too soon. Like... In a way, it could have until that bit. I thought I thought that bit just kind of solidified it and just made it kind of perfect. Well, then, because you get to completely forget about it uh, after exactly. That. Well, except yeah. for when they initially get to the island, they're like, "Can we hug?" Um, yeah. yeah, I will say that was one thing though that like he tried to. So I've seen a couple times, and like I said, the opening I feel drags a little bit. Like when they're all opening the box. Like, like mm-hmm. that could have been tightened and it, it drags a little. And I felt like watching it this last time when they all show up to the island with their different masks on, I was like, that would have been mm-hmm. a more interesting way to introduce the characters. Like, like mm. we, we get like a full backstory, or like a we get to know who they are, then they get the box. That's like the structure of the opening scene. You know, Batista's yeah. doing his pot, his webcast. You know, what's her name's throwing the party. Catherine Hahn is getting ready to like, you know, do a Zoom, you know, CNN thing. Like we get to know all of them. Then they get the box. I would have much rather like, you know, all their different masks show their different personalities in a weird way. I, I yeah. don't know. I felt like pick one or the other. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll move on to another puzzle piece. Uh, let's get to some, some of these. I got a few. Yeah. A lot of them are going to deal with rich people i'm realizing as i'm looking at my list but not all of them but uh i'm gonna go wolf of wall street for my next one just Mm. thinking about you know how greed and money turn people shitty and this group of friends who they were kind of assholes to begin with um but getting hugely successful and then off of the backs of basically making money off of other people uh just turns them from shitty to even shittier and uh just that kind of greed uh, is something that I think is like hugely being explored here and made fun of uh, as it was in Scorsese's movie. Yeah, I think that this one is a little less fatalist than um, Wolf of Wall Street. And I also think it's a little less cynical. And that's one of the things that I like about Ryan Johnson is that he's not a cynical filmmaker, sometimes to mm-hmm. a fault. And that was one of the things about White Lotus that I really didn't like is like right out of the gate, there's like a cynicism to to that oh very show. much so yeah and and yeah. And, I, and i just feel like especially especially with how many how easy it is to hate rich people these days and how you know what mm-hmm. i mean like how many different movies like that we have like wolf of wall street it's a little to me it's a little juvenile at this point to be cynical in that way in, in making these movies like I'm, I'm a little nervous to see that movie the menu 
because mm-hmm. of it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm like, I'm which like, that's it's going to be exactly in that same wheelhouse for sure. Yeah. You know, and I and I just hope that there's a little more to it, a little more meat to it. No pun intended. Like, you know, oh, nice. that because because I'm just like I, I, I'm just not in that place anymore. I'm not coming from a place of resentment or 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 bitterness or cynicism anymore. And so when I, when that stuff pops its head up, I just get immediately check out. And and yeah. I thought that Knives Out and this movie both successfully poked fun at, you know, uh, poked fun at that enough and drove home a really nice point at the end. Um, mm-hmm. Knives Out more so than this one. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember thinking Knives Out and Parasite were the same movie. And that to me, Knives Out right. was the much better version because it wasn't mm-hmm. coming from some kind of like angsty, cynical place, you know, like. Right. And, and literally Marta in that movie, she's so good that even the thought of lying makes her sick. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the, the thought of not being, you know, and, and he keeps driving that home in the person. You are a good person. You know, yeah. and, and she sticks to that, and that's how she wins in the end. You know what I mean? Right. And sure. um, and this one, I, I'll say that uh, the lead girl in this, I they tried to make a similar thing, and I just it it was not as strong to me. I will say that I thought that this movie was much more ambitious and successful in its ambitions, but I don't think it was as good of a movie as Knives Out. I think that's fair. I mean it it's kind of a very difficult thing to replicate without it just being, you know, doing the same thing over again. Right. And like you said, it, it's certainly more ambitious. It's, it's bigger and it doesn't fumble that, which is a, uh, it would be a very easy thing to, to mess up. Right. Well, I mean, that actually kind of feeds into my next piece. Um, cause, uh, th- I guess this is where I'm going to get into heavy spoiler territory for the movie. Let's um, do it. Which, so, about two thirds of the way through the movie, it gets revealed that um, that uh, what's what's her name? The actress Janelle um, Janelle Monet Janelle Monet that her character is not who she has been claiming to be the whole movie. She's been yeah. claiming to be this one character, and it turns out she's that character's actually committed suicide before the movie even started. And this is her twin sister going undercover on the island to figure out because she thinks somebody actually killed her sister. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to think of movies that, you know, halfway through or whatever, go back to the beginning and then reassess the whole, like, give you a whole new lens to see the movie through. And um, the the one that came to mind that I like the most, so I'm going with it, is um, The Skin I Live In. Okay. uh, The Pedro Almodovar movie. Um, Have you seen that movie? I saw it when it came out. Um, it's been a long time. Yeah, I hate spoiling it, but I will. But that, like, you know, in that film, Antonio Banderas has this woman kind of trapped in a room that he, you know, like feeds and clothes, and she's a bit eccentric, and she's obviously trying to escape. And at one point, she she tries to escape, but somebody breaks in the house and actually like rapes her, and then like they kill that guy. And then after this whole like 30, 40 minute intro to this woman who's been trapped. We then get a flashback. It, the movie jumps backwards in time and starts following this completely different story of this man who works in a dress shop. And basically what we find out is that that guy like, kind of took advantage of Antonio Banderas's daughter who um, went catatonic afterward. And Antonio Banderas extracted his revenge on that guy by uh, 
by kidnapping him, torturing him, and giving him a sex change and changing him into this woman who looks exactly mm-hmm. like Antonio Banderas' wife, who then we get another flashback. We find out Antonio Banderas had this wife who killed herself, who, you know what I mean? And then the movie catches yeah. back up to where we are. And now we know that this is this man who has been turned into this woman who is Antonio Banderas' wife. And now how will he seduce Antonio Banderas as this woman now to escape? Like, you know, it's it's yeah. fucking incredible movie. And, um, oh, yeah. you know, I, that's one of those movies that as a filmmaker, you watch and you get like super jealous. You're like, <laughs> damn, like, how did you do that? Like, I remember when I saw that movie for the first time, I was like, you can only make a movie like that. That's that good. If you've been doing this for 40 years. Right. Like, you know what I mean? And and I and I and I could see Ryan Johnson getting jealous of, of that movie and of all Almodovar, to be honest. Um, sure. And and I and I and I felt that that's one of the things about the ambition of this movie that I thought was really successful is because basically two thirds of the way through the movie, it takes you back through the entire movie. Like yeah. you, you get a, yeah. a, a 20 minute crash course throughout the entire movie again. And it works. And what you realize yeah. after the movie is over, because at first when you're watching it, you're like, I thought this was a fucking murder mystery and nobody dies. Batista doesn't die until like an hour and 10 minutes into the movie. But then when you realize in that flashback and by the end of it, oh, my God, I've been watching a murder mystery from the beginning. From minute one, the murder Mm. happened before the movie started. Like, like, right, right. So we've and and I remember thinking that Janelle Monet and that um, Daniel Craig both weren't very good in it. I was like, man, I don't think that like he's way overdoing it. And she's like, I don't know what she's doing, but it's not working. And then it gets revealed that they're undercover and that Benoit Blanc is putting on a show. And and I was like, wow, that's like a and her, too. I'm like, that's a bold move, you know, like that's a really bold move to 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 risk that, Uh, you know. And again, I think they succeeded, you know, which is why I'm glad I got to see it again before doing this um, episode with you, because, yeah. You know, I I I had to make sure that that, yes, it, it actually works. And it does, and I'm jealous. Right, right. So, well, and that, and that's, I think, a big part of why this movie feels so fun is just, you know, it, it is riding high on that, on, on, like a very tightrope, basically, of of trying to thread that line and and succeeds, and you're along for the ride with Ryan Johnson, who like just knows what he's doing the whole way through. Yeah, I. You know, I remember one time, my first thing I ever shot here in L.A. was a short film about Gary Glitter and Stevie Nicks. And Gary Glitter had been kidnapped by the real Don Steele and Lindsey Buckingham. And they, it was like this weird thing. And um, and you find out that he and Stevie Nicks were in love and all this. And and but at the end, it gets revealed that Stevie Nicks is a robot. And um, mm. and like it's a big like, you know, twist. And I I cast this actress in it and, and she had never acted before outside of her like comedy sketches or whatever and i'd never met her before we just did an audition and she said how am i supposed to play this part and i told her i want you to be so convincing as this robot stevie nicks that until people see the end of the movie they think you're not very good in the movie Mm. like they 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 think that you're like there's something like not right about your performance that you're it's a little robotic (laughs) like that's tough. And, that, yeah. That's a tough thing to pull off. Yeah, and you know what? To her credit, she really did it. And also to her credit, good for her for being willing to do that, especially given it was her first time, you know, really acting in something. So, yeah. 
That's, that's <laughs> awesome. That's great. Well, uh, I'll go on to my next piece. Um, obviously, uh, all of these people have been invited to uh, their their old friend, who's now this tech billionaire, played by Edward Norton, uh, on his island compound. And that's kind of been a thing with a lot of movies lately, these tech billionaire characters that are like eccentric and ridiculous. But I'm going to go back to Ex Machina um, with Oscar Isaac's character uh, and use that as the puzzle piece here because Edward Norton is just ridiculous in his, uh, his little world that he's built on this island. And I think to some of... Uh, Oscar Isaac's little weird quirks and stuff like that in Ex Machina and like the the kind of weirdness that living that life would kind of uh, give way to and uh, how strange of a character the, the guy would become and uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of like weird little ticks like that that Edward Norton has. Oh yeah, I mean the single greatest movie moment of 2022 is and will be by the end of the year Edward Norton sitting on the shore playing Blackbird as, oh, the, God, as, yeah. as the boat approaches. That is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a movie. Just, um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's Ex Machina is a great piece because I think that that movie had the exact same effect that Knives Out did, which is that like a lot of filmmakers saw that movie and wanted to do that too. And you're right. We've gotten a gajillion of these tech billionaire movies, um, you know, and these detective movies uh, ever since those films. And uh, yeah. like, uh, I really liked, what was it, Spiderhead earlier this year? Spiderhead earlier this I year, I loved yeah. that movie. I thought that movie was awesome. Um, mm -hmm. Much better than Top Gun Maverick. And um, I, well, I only yeah, say that because yeah. the same guy made it. But, I um, know, same director. But, but, uh, but, but I think that it speaks more to both those movies, Ex Machina and uh, Knives Out. They were kind of like the canaries in the coal mine where... We know that technology and how we and how we worship it is is actually leading to our own downfall, you know, mm -hmm. and we also have started to suspect that the people in power are actually like using us, hurting us, manipulating us. And so we are Benoit Blanc. We are detectives. We I mean, it's not a coincidence that Benoit that detective movies, you know, have started spurting up because we all want to know the truth of what's going on in our real fucking world right now. And mm. the elite and the tech and the tech gods are the ones fucking us, you know. So, of course, we're going to be making lots of movies about like, you know, getting to the bottom of a mystery and about how technology is is actually like maybe, you know, uh, evil. <laughs> and yeah. this movie is kind of the perfect <laughs> blend of both. Um, yeah, absolutely. And happens to be like really funny. So like they kind of like the, you know. Uh, the sugar to make the medicine go down, you know? Well, but you have to be because that's the actual truth because it's so absurd. It's so ridiculous. Like what we do is absurd and ridiculous in life. And if you're not honoring that in what you're making, then you're actually just being didactic and or cynical. And cynicism, mm. in my opinion, is kind of like a, a very primitive reaction to have to something or a very juvenile reaction to have to something because it's the easiest and most self-satisfying and really, at the end mm -hmm. of the day, what we're criticizing all these elites and tech billionaires of being is self-satisfying, like they only care about themselves. So really, we're doing the poor man's version of that when we make shit that's like cynical and mean spirited because it's like, OK, great. Who's that for you? You're not the problem. You know, um, mm -hmm. so I don't know. I, sorry. <laughs> that's why I like nah. that's why I didn't like Parasite and why I like Nice <laughs> Out. 
This movie will get you in these directions, so I mean, it makes sense to get a little worked up. But uh, what do you got for your next piece? I got Primal Fear. Um, nice. Edward yeah. Norton's big debut. I think I even said that to you after um, we saw it together. That like, you know, because yeah. I mean, not to not to be that guy, but when I saw Primal Fear, like the whole movie, I, I was just like, no, he did it. Like Edward Norton's the killer. Like he's he's lying. He's not really crazy. Mm. You're you know. And then at the end, he like. It's supposed to be like the big twist after he gets away with it. He's like, we did it, partner. And, and Richard Gere's like, what? How could I have not seen it? And I'm like, yeah, I agree. How could you have not seen it? And he's the fucking villain. <laughs> and um, and I felt that way about this one, too. I, I felt that like mm. they're kind of just telling you right from the beginning that like, nope, he's the bad. He's the bad guy. Uh, oh, sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Whatever that may well, mean. Well, and, and I think I think he I think he knows that we're all going to kind of think that because, I mean, we're all on the same page here. You know, the tech billionaire is bad. Right. Yeah, exactly. Even if it's not Edward Norton. All I knew is that it wasn't going to be Batista. He's too kind. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, th- that's interesting. I maybe even more so should have said uh, Death on the Nile, which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. movies of the year. That's in my like top three of the year still, because I feel like that movie and this movie are both. Um, they both kind of tell you right out of the gate who the killer is. That's kind of mm-hmm. the point of these movies. and 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 and. It forces you to like look at the movie from a different angle. Like, okay, so if mm-hmm. Edward Norton is the bad guy, I'm not trying to figure out who the bad guy is. So then, what is this movie about? You know, and same mm-hmm. thing with Murder or with Death on the Nile, where Death on the Nile, they tell you it's what's her name right out of the gate, basically. And so it's like, okay, so what, why am I watching this story then? And I think that Death on the Nile actually does it a little better because Death on the Nile, well, obviously I do. It's one of my favorite movies of the year, but I think that. Death mm-hmm. on the Nile, what you realize is that, oh, this film is about who is Poirot and how Poirot is the one hiding the most. You know what I mean? And it's right. Poirot discovering that about himself. He's literally been hiding his identity ever since the war, you know, with that mustache and, with you know, and I found that very powerful. This movie, uh, I'll get into it with my next piece, but it's uh, very obviously not about the murder mystery. So, um, right. Right. So, yeah, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, I, I remember when Primal Fear came out, and um, like that run that Edward Norton had. I mean, it, it was it was just the best uh, for for like a pretty long run of movies. He, he was and, the best uh, unless you worked with him, apparently. Uh, yeah, as as we've heard, but yeah. uh, man, were those movies great? Yeah, I mean, didn't, um, didn't he follow up Primal Fear? Wasn't his next movie? Wasn't it Everyone Says I Love You, the Woody Allen musical? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> good move, Ed. Good move. Wow. Wow. Well, I will go with, um, I I guess I could have combined this with Ex Machina, my last piece, but I'm going to go with Spike Jonze's Her uh, Mm -hmm. for my next piece, because even though theme-wise there's nothing really there, I I think this movie is playing with a lot of, uh, like, fun, not futuristic, but, like, current-ish technologies that feel a little bit of a ways off. And, you know, from that from that COVID shot that I get from in the beginning to uh, everything on the Island with like, you know, uh, haptic feedback that leads you towards your room and like all these like interesting little sci-fi ideas that are just maybe a year or two off, you know, and we're like right there. Of course, this tech billionaire has it all already. And uh, none of it really works that well. It seems like in certain scenes, because of course, None of this tech ever does work the way it's advertised, but um, right. it's fun. It, it's fun to see like the imagination of some of these things 
uh, being thrown up on the screen and uh, seeing seeing how people react to it all. I like the robotic dog bellhop that just like walks by <laughs> yeah. in the background. One. I do wish, though. Yeah, because I like that stuff so much. Like you said, I wish that some of that had come into play. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't come into play in any kind of meaningful way. You know what I mean? Which is weird, like because he's such a he writes like that usually too, Ryan Johnson, where everything circles around and everything, you know, and that just doesn't happen in this movie. So that that kind of threw me off a little. Her is. Yeah, I guess I could see that. Her, yeah. her, because her, it, 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 it eventually becomes more about just the people than anything. Right. Oh, well, maybe that's what he's doing that. Yeah, Damn, David. I guess so. You did it. Well, her her is is funny because, as you know, I I despise Spike Jones, and um, of course, yeah. and uh, yeah, of course he says, and I I I got to go to a very early screening of that, and I was surprised because I liked it. I was like, wow, I actually think that that worked for me, and I was telling people for months, I was like, yeah, her is actually pretty good, and um, mm-hmm. when it came out finally, I invited a couple friends to go see it opening night, and we went and saw it, and about twenty minutes into it, I was like, oh no, it's not actually my bad. And I, and I took a nap. Um, it just tricked me the first time. Um, yeah, sure. And, and again, it's, that's another one of these like cynical movies. Like I, like I, I just found it to be like, I, I feel like it's the kind of idea that a 13 year old would come up with before they a know what it's like to actually live life in any kind mm. of meaningful way. Um, AKA moving out of your parents' house. And two, that mm. like, it just wasn't a very well thought out idea. Like, it's like you have that idea. You're like, oh, that's a good idea. But if you think about it for like five minutes, you're like, oh, it's actually kind of dumb. I don't know. I just I, and I remember Scarlett Johansson got us hurt when her name popped up in the credits. The audience gave her name a standing ovation. And I was like, what? that's kind of weird. And w- what was the company that did that movie? It was um, Annapurna, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. It was an Annapurna film. When that popped up, when that logo popped up at the beginning, the audience erupted in an applause as well. And I was like, what? Like, well, like, they, they were the pre A24, A24. So, yeah, I guess the, the, the first people to be like, I want to I'm a I'm a I'm a rich, privileged kid who wants to hang with the cool kids. I want to play artist. Um, <laughs> let me latch on to Darren Aronofsky. Um, <laughs> uh. Joe. Hey, here I am Joe, talking about Joe don't be cynical takes. or bitter or resentful. Right? <laughs> Just <laughs> shitting on him. Um, hey, hey, hey. What do you got for your next piece? I only have one more, man. <laughs> I, you know, and this is the yeah. this is the one that I'm pretty convinced of. Um, this movie is actually about the Last Jedi. Oh. This movie 100 percent right. is about the Last Jedi. You've got. I mean, I mean, where to begin? Well, first of all, Edward Norton is J.J. Abrams um, because okay. I, well, think about this when they do the flashback to the origins of how the group was formed. What is Edward Norton dressed as? He's dressed as yeah, Tom Cruise from Magnolia. <laughs> what was J.J. Abrams yeah. first movie? Mission Impossible 3. Was, it, was that his first? OK, his yeah, first movie yeah. he directed. So here. Yeah. So we're our, and Brian Johnson makes a point of this is a a billionaire whatever you know privileged guy who actually is dumb and doesn't come up with anything original right and look at jj abrams's filmography you've got uh he did that mission impossible 3 a third movie in a franchise that's a remake of a 60s tv show then you've got mm. star trek 
and the and Star Trek uh, Into the Darkness, which are the exact same thing. Then you've mm-hmm. got Super 8, which everyone just totally criticizes as a complete and utter ripoff of Steven Spielberg movies. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing original about Super 8 whatsoever. Then you've got The, uh, the Force Awakens, right? Now, The Force Awakens is Star Wars. Star Wars is like kind of like the mecca of pop art in our modern mm-hmm. culture, right? What does Edward yeah. Norton keep in his glass in in his in his museum what did he what did he take that should not be for him but should be for all the people the mona lisa right which is right. like the original pop piece of art right like and he's got that and he's keeping it in his glass house all by himself right and what happens to the mona lisa in that that shit has to burn down to expose the monster for who he is right mm-hmm. so ryan johnson <laughs> Ryan Johnson is kind of, uh, I don't want to say that he's Janelle Monet's character. I want to think that that's more Rose. But when you think about it, you've got this side character who's the minority female character who's being ignored the whole movie. And, and nobody takes her seriously. They all just think she's a bitch and that she's trying to ruin everybody's good time. And you, you know what I mean? That's The Last yeah. Jedi. But then what happens two thirds of the way through the movie, we go back and actually are forced to see it from that person's perspective. And we see the value in it. And it points out that the rest of these elites who are trying to shut it down, which are like, you know, social media giants, politicians, like all the people, all the elites who are in control of us, they're the ones saying that this sucks because they can't actually embrace what it means to be the last Jedi. (laughs) And they're all shitheads. And mm-hmm. we get this new perspective and it, ha- I mean, that's totally what this movie is about. And unfortunately, I think that part of it is a little scary because she says at the end, Janelle Monet says to them, you would lie for, cause they won't stand up for her at, after um, Edward Norton burns the evidence, they won't stand up for right. her. She says, you would lie for a lie, but you won't lie for the truth. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I like that message because and it's kind of a similar message to Knives Out, but I feel like Ryan Johnson, he's talked about how he's trying to get back into Star Wars. Like he wants to do that trilogy that he had planned out. Sure. And if you look at his yeah. Twitter and stuff like that, he's very, you know, uh, he's showing a lot of gratitude and, and kindness and gratefulness to Disney and to all these, you know, he's kind of playing the game again to get back in that door. And I wonder if that's him like trying to, uh, trying to like lie his way back in to do some good you know i mean it's no coincidence that in last jedi yoda burns down the tree with all the scrolls and that in this movie right. he's burning down the mona lisa like it's yeah. it's not a coincidence um i personally and you didn't you weren't doing your show when last jedi came out but you and i have talked about it we both really like that movie um, oh love it yeah and i told ryan johnson that because uh, I got to talk to him after the last screening of Glass Onion I went to. I told him that, you know, I think that I personally think The Last Jedi is one of the best, if not the best, Hollywood released movie in my lifetime. And that after The Force Awakens, which was a total piece of shit, I refused to see any more Star Wars movies. And then my ex-wife, she wanted to go see the new one. And so I went with her only because it was Ryan Johnson and how five minutes into that movie, I felt like I was in good hands. And by the end of the movie, mm-hmm. I was so moved. I was in tears. I was, it was so profound. And I turned to my ex-wife and I said, 
that's one of the best films I've ever seen. And she turned and looked at me and went, you like that? <laughs> and that's when I knew she and I were going to get divorced. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, and and I got to tell him that story and he was a little, you know, he was a little tipsy. So he really liked that story. But but I nice. mean that, you know, and that movie, Star Wars, is about what the force is and what the force means. And one of the things that trips me out so much about that movie is how wrong people get it when they talk about it. Like they talk about like Luke dies, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like he didn't die. Luke became mm -hmm. one with the force. Like yeah, his mentors yeah. before him or, you know, and they're like, oh, Ryan Johnson says, let the past die in that movie. And I'm like, no, the villain says, let the past die in that mm -hmm. movie. You know what that movie is saying is stop worshiping the, the, the relics, stop worshiping the, 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 the symbolism of Star Wars and embrace what Star Wars actually was and move things forward. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's, that's what that whole scene with Yoda is about. It's not about destroying Star Wars. It's about these shitheads who are coming along and just making the same thing over and over again, but worse versions of it, claiming it for themselves and calling themselves geniuses like J.J. Abrams, right. you know? So Damn. That's, what, that's what this fucking movie is about. It ain't about who done it. <laughs> I love it. It's a, it's, a great, it's a great theory. And like, I, I, I don't... I don't disagree. I, th I think it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. And, and uh, Ryan Johnson is certainly one to, to sneak something like that in there. I mean, we all, you do know, it. every filmmaker, yeah. especially if you're somebody who's getting to make $220 million, you know, uh, auteur films like this is in this movie, like a $200 million budget. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Is that one of the, one of the biggest budgets that Netflix has. has yeah. Uh, well, given? He's, you know, he gets to come from a completely personal place and whether or not he's like, you know, like that's what's going on in his life right now. You know what I mean? That's been like the biggest thing to happen to him in his whole career. You know what I mean? And, and so, of course, you know, that's going to be a part of what he's making. And he's such a genius, yeah. like, you know, like his movies or not, he's a brilliant mind, you know, yeah. and 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 so that's that's where he's coming from, I think, at least. And uh, yeah, it all lines up. It all tracks. So my last puzzle piece kind of uh, themes that we've already been talking about here, but it's Ready or Not from 2019, which is a movie that Knives Out we used as a puzzle piece on the episode for that. So this is all coming back around and to the whole, uh, you know, murder mystery genre that, like we've said, is kind of having that resurgence. But especially with the takedown of the rich and powerful and the lengths they'll go to hold on to that and... Uh, you know, they they may act like they're for all the little guys and everything, but when it comes down to it, they'll, you know, do whatever they have to do to hold on to that final, like, dying grasp of their power. And uh, it's a fun movie. It's not as good as Knives Out, of course, and not as good as this, but uh, I, I think is definitely uh, coming from a place of just, like, a kind of fun, old-school thrill ride of a movie. That's the one with Samara... Samara yeah. weaving, right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see that. And I, you know, I never will. So mm. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, it, it, it looks, it looks like a good movie for what it is. But like, again, it's just like that kind of like mean spirited, shitty perspective. And also, mm. like, I just really don't like her. Um, mm. So, like, I don't really have any draw to go see it. But, you know, 
I have been surprised a lot here lately with some of the movies that I've been seeing that I've really liked. So like, who knows? Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe one day. Like I saw. Well, and I would imagine she's probably on a short list for Knives Out three. So you'll be seeing her again I, at some point. I don't know. I don't. Maybe I. You know what? I'm gonna go back to what I said earlier, and I'm never gonna see that movie. At first, when you were saying Ready, I was like, he better not say Ready Player One because I, I can't. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> that would that would be an even worse uh, setup for. Yeah, you're right. For where things would go. I thought you were going to say Ready Player uh, One because of the terrible CGI environments. That's my biggest criticism of, of all of Glass Onion is the Glass Onion. Whenever they're in it, it just looks, the, the green screen backgrounds are so bad. Like, mm. they, like in Daniel Craig's hair, it's just, I mean, it looks so bad. And I wish that they had done what Joe Kaczynski did on uh, Oblivion, where Tom Cruise has that house in the sky and instead of doing green screen, they actually put IMAX cameras on top of a mountain and shot in 360 and then projected, rear projected that footage against big screens that circled around the set so that it, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I wish I well, I isn't would, that what they're doing now with a lot of like the Star Wars stuff and everything? Isn't that like the new thing? Like these projected backgrounds? Um, yeah, but those like, are like on, on the sets. Those are also like digital backgrounds, though, too. You know what I mean? Most of the time, like right. like made digitally. And I, I think that that would have really helped the look of, of Glass Onion. And I can't imagine it would have cost more if they had done that rear projection idea instead of doing the green screen. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, I don't think that this movie is like, I don't even think it holds a candle to the um, to Knives Out. But like, that would be unfair for, it almost feels like a movie that Ryan Johnson just executive produced and came up with the story. <laughs> um, and like, you know, somebody else directed this one. But, um, you know, and I do think it's his weakest film. But honestly, if after 20 years in the industry, your weakest film is Glass Onion, you are doing something very right. You're doing something. Yeah, very, very right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But let, let's I, I, I know, Joe, you have uh, you have private messaged me about bringing back the finished puzzle. Um, I'm going to bring back the finished puzzle. How about that? Oh. Let's talk. Uh, l- let's list down all the movies we just talked about, and then we'll get into some some more closing thoughts here. But uh, we talked about Mad Monster Party, The White Lotus, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Wolf of Wall Street, The Skin I Live In, Ex Machina, Primal Fear, Death on the Nile, Her, The Last Jedi, and Ready or Not. I agree that it's no Knives Out. But at the same time, I, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I, I don't think it's that far off. I think you don't get the impact of Knives Out just kind of coming out of nowhere. And like, of course, we, we love Ryan Johnson, but like we weren't expecting a movie like that to show up. And right. so it kind of gets that wow factor. Um, and you certainly don't get that this time around. But I still think it's a really fun movie. Oh, I, I would tell everybody, go see it in the theater. Like, I wouldn't even say watch it on Netflix. Like, I, I, I really liked the movie a lot. Like, I really, really yeah. did. But like you said, like, I went into Knives Out expecting a great movie because I thought Ryan Johnson couldn't do a bad movie. And I'm, you know, I still think right. that. But what I got when I saw Knives Out was like, it, it's his, it's one of his strongest, if not his strongest works. You know what I mean? It's right. That script is so incredible. Its themes are so like potent and like the performances are so in tune with each other. Like, you know, funny enough, the, the the main performance I was missing out of the last film for this one was Lakeith Stanfield as as the detective. Like, mm. as the, like I loved him in that movie. It's a small part. Oh, he's but, great. You know, and after the after the last screening, so they, in the Q&A, Ryan Johnson and Kate Hudson specifically were talking about how important it is for comedy to ground your characters and that that's what makes them blah, blah. And I could not disagree more, actually. 
Um, hmm. Like, I actually think that Kate Hudson, that's one of the things that's not as strong because I feel like a few of the performances in this movie just aren't great. You know, Kate Hudson being one of them. No, you don't ground that character. You don't have to ground any of these people because these people are not grounded. If you met that person in real life, they are not grounded. Their head is in the fucking clouds. And that's right, why Knives right. Out was so good. But in Knives Out, when you look at that cast, you're working with a more veteran cast. You know, you're working yeah. with Don Johnson, Jamie Lee Curtis. You, know, you These people have been doing this a long time. And this is a, a younger cast. You, you know what I mean? This is a, you know, other yeah. than Edward Norton. And I think it speaks volumes that Edward Norton is the best in the movie, you know? Oh, sure. Um, so, like, you know, I say that it's not as good specifically because I'm coming at it from a filmmaker eye. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, like, to people who just enjoy watching movies, like, it's going to be the same movie on a quality you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. So like, I, you know, I put it in the really, really good camp, maybe even the very good camp, just not the like, you know, uh, crowning jewel camp that I put knives out. Sure. Yeah, no. that, that's fair enough. Absolutely. I, I think uh, one other uh, closing thought to like kind of have, and I kind of just had the same one right before this. I recorded an episode on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, it's interesting between these two movies. I, I don't know if you've seen White Noise yet. Um, no. I loved white noise and I know you aren't, I don't think you're a fan of bomb Uh, I generally <laughs> am not, but I, <laughs> but I, I loved it though. Um, Netflix putting out some really interesting stuff this year. I feel like at a really expensive price tag, white noise is $150 yes. million. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 180, I think 180 <laughs> fucking million. Fuck yeah. Noah bomb but I will see it because, you know, it's Greta's first time in a movie in a long time. And, mm. you know, that 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 kind of love never dies. So sure, I'll, sure. I'll be seeing it. But I mean, and again, <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, it's just too much money. And same thing with this. It's like two hundred million dollars. Like. Come on, you, you, you know what I mean? Like, like, that's just so. And because of that $200 million, now suddenly my Netflix subscription is going up. There's going to be ads in it. There's going to be, you know what I mean? That's the kind yeah. of like shitty thing that happens. It's like, you don't need $200 million to make this movie. And we kind of bear the brunt of it because of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, and now, I, and it's so weird how everybody now is like, oh, I love Tubi. I, I don't mind commercials again. And I don't mind. It's like, God, like, are we being played like a fiddle folks that like the whole beautiful yes. thing about streaming was that we didn't have to have ads, you know, and I was, I, you know, as soon as they offered it on YouTube where you could pay 10 bucks a month and not have to watch fucking commercials. Like I did that. Cause that's the app that we all watch the most really, you know? Yeah. So like, just, it's out of control. Like it was white noise. Did it need it? A it is out of control. But, but, at, but at the same time though, if we don't have these ridiculous budgets, like, What's the the alternative is this movie being, you know, hampered by like really bad shots and probably lit badly. And that's you not know, true, the, man. The cast no. is a, you know, I don't know. Look, look, at some, would... look at some of the streaming movies of the last decade. Yeah, you know? but, but like, the difference between two hundred million dollars and forty million dollars is the catering. Well, it should. You, no, you're right. The, the, these movies should be doable for that. But. I don't know. I feel like I feel like we're we're finally getting a few good streamers and they're insanely overpriced, but you know, we're at least we're finally getting some good ones. Yeah, but but again, they don't need to be this. They don't need to be that price tag. They don't need to be and yeah. and unfortunately, 
Ryan Johnson and Noah Baumbach and Martin Scorsese, they don't they don't suffer the consequences of it. The people who watch the films do. You know yeah, what I mean? Well. No, like the, not a yeah, well, because no, like there's no reason for this movie to cost more than fifty million dollars. And and for it yeah. to, you know what I mean? Like there's just not. Like two hundred million dollars used to be like like do you remember when like Two hundred million dollars was like, how could you spend that much money on a movie? Wasn't Superman Returns the first two hundred million dollar movie or something I, like that? I think you're right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I mean. Like, you know, wasn't Ambulance like forty million? Exactly. And I mean, yeah. that movie was a million times better shot than Glass Onion. Like, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's there's no reason for these movies to have these price tags. Nobody needs that kind of thing. And I would think that as an artist, part of that responsibility would be like, oh, wow, the people who I want to see this now, it's more of a struggle for them to see it. And like, I don't know, you know, Tarantino talked about movie theaters used to be that movies used to be the blue collar uh, art form, like baseball, Mm -hmm. like how you could pay five bucks for a baseball ticket, sit in the, you know, the sit way up in the nosebleeds and just drink a couple beers, eat some peanuts and just be there all day. You know, that's why baseball was so popular. Same thing with movies. Yeah. Movies used to be, you know, five to five, six bucks a ticket, you know, get a couple hours of entertainment. Cool. Go home. But now it's like you literally are like negotiating where it's like, <laughs> you know, if I want to see an IMAX movie, that's twenty one dollars. It's like that's, you know, two hours worth of work for me. So it's like an even trade of my time. Fuck you. Like, yeah. you better be the best movie ever. And yeah, nine times out of ten, they're, you know, Pearl. So. <laughs> So I guess Pearl's not going to be a recommendation, but Joe, is there a movie that you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yes, Uh, (laughs) there is actually. (laughs) Um, And and honestly, it's two of them uh, because I saw two movies this week that both completely took me by surprise. One of them was um, was Terrifier 2. And Mm -hmm. the other one was Wakanda Forever. I never planned on seeing Terrifier 2 and I of course, planned on seeing Wakanda forever, but I did not, you know, I, I, I didn't care for the first Black Panther and all these Marvel movies lately have been uh, watchable at best. I mean, Doctor Strange was OK, you know, whatever. But I absolutely loved both of these movies. Like, um, I thought Terrifier 2 was uh, actually kind of incredible. And I didn't know anything about it uh, going in, except that it was, you know, a sequel slasher movie. I didn't know that it was only made for 250,000. I didn't know that um it was two and a half hours long. I didn't even know that by the end of the movie. I didn't feel like I had just been there for two and a half hours, you know. Wow. And uh Wakanda Forever is a uh, is another one that like it's a it's a film that's truly about grief and and it's one of the worst the visual effects in that movie are at an all-time low for uh for a Marvel movie. And I heard a lot of people complaining about how dark and hard things were to see and all that. But I watched the movie and I didn't agree. I thought that the way that the movie was shot was beautifully in tone with what the movie was about, which is about not only grief and loss, but also having to confront your shortcomings when that happens. You know, like, I think that's another movie where Ryan Coogler, you know, like the death of Chadwick Boseman had a great effect on him and kind of threw him into like this tailspin of like, who am I? Have I been doing this wrong all along? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's what Wakanda Forever is about. And I think that it's a very brave movie because it's about something not being right. 
and kind of landing on that, that like, oh, wow, this is wrong. But now I don't, I don't know what right is still, but now I'm open to it. And, and, and yeah. the movie ends in kind of a fearful place in a good way, but like that good kind of fear, you know what I mean? That uh, fear of the unknown that you're about to embrace, you know, Star Trek. So mm. I highly recommend Terrifier 2 and I highly recommend Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever. Big time. Right on. Very cool uh, recommendations. I, I do need to see Terrifier 2. Um, I, I didn't know anything about it either going in, but of course it's like one of the big success stories this year. And uh, it sounds uh, ridiculous, but... Um, well, I was, I was watching <laughs> I it. it. I was watching it halfway through. I was like, maybe I should check out this first one, you know? And then after the credits of Terrifier 2, they had like a little like interview with the director. And he was talking about, he's like, yeah, you know, with the first one, we were just trying to introduce this character. So the movie's more just like about this, you know, psycho clown and like, it, you know, it's just him killing people and there's no real story. So this time we wanted to tell a story and I was like, OK, mm. cool. So I don't have to watch the first one. Like, <laughs> perfect. Th that's fine. Yeah. It's like, thank you, director. Thank yeah. You for letting me know. You could have spared yeah. me X, you know, uh, Ty West, like take notes. <laughs> I did. I said there that, he is. I, I said <laughs> that I, I, I said in one of my rare letterboxed reviews, I said that this is like what a Ty West movie would be if it if Ty West had any guts, heart brain talent or creativity that's that's why we get joe on the show uh joe i know you just had another uh, great screening of natasha hall tell us what else is going on with you uh yeah and your films natasha hall is actually um will be available on demand in the next few months here um we're we are finally in distribution so that's um that's very exciting and we are uh in pre-production now on a sequel that we're going to be shooting uh at the end of December into January. So that's awesome. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of good Natasha Hall stuff coming here. And um, we're also trying to turn it into a TV show. And Natasha Leone is now in a Ryan Johnson created television series where she's a detective. And I find that really funny because Natasha Hall's name came from a combination of Natasha Leone and Rebecca Hall. So, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, two years, two years later, See, see, I told you, David, I, you know, going Natasha all two years ago and then son of a bitch, you know, amazing. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Yeah, good Lord. <laughs> Anyways, well, Joe, uh, where, where, where can they find you? Blue means pregnant films.com is my website where you can see a lot of my films. Um, they won't be up there for too much longer. Some of them because a, a handful of them are going into distribution. So, um, uh, you know, there's plenty of my films on there as well as like all the like short films and documentaries about the making of. You can follow my company and my friends' artistic journeys and uh, become a part of the the community on bluemeanspregnantfilms.com. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Joe, as always, great having you here and I uh, look forward to next time. Me too. Thanks, David. Hi, it's Zach host of the Belated Binge podcast, where I'm re-binging the Harry Potter series. I didn't read these books until my mid-20s, but now I'm going back, a chapter or two at a time with some of the Potterhead friends I'm making along the way so that we can discuss some of the most important questions of the series, like what did Dumbledore know and when? Why does Harry only know two spells? And are there any competent adults in the wizarding world? Belated Binge is full of theories, headcanons, adult humor, sarcasm, and spell puns. So Accio Belated Binge on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you're listening on right now.
All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Glass Onion. And thanks to Joe Black for joining me on that one. And thank you to you for listening. If you enjoy what we do here on Piecing It Together, make sure you're subscribed. And while you're at it, uh, if that app that you're subscribing on happens to have a five-star button, we'd really appreciate your five-star ratings and reviews. It helps make sure that the show rises up in the rankings and more people see it, more people listen, and then we'll cover some more movies. Speaking of movies, we got a lot of episodes on the way. Um, I recorded like three last week. I think I'm recording two more this week. It's uh, there's, there's a lot of movies out there. I'm trying to cover as many as we can. Uh, so yeah, follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And I told you about the Patreon at the top of the show, but check that out too. Produced by David Rosen. If you want to support the show that way, we definitely appreciate it. But also just keep listening. I told you I've got a new album coming out called More Content. The pre-order starts on December 2nd. The album comes out December 30th. And I'll be also posting a special commentary track of the album very soon here on the show as a bonus episode. But I'm going to close this episode out by playing a song from the album. This is a song called Boiling Point. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.